Well, good morning. Uh, worship team, thank you so much for uh, graciously leading us in a time of singing to our Lord. Um, happy Father's Day to uh, those of you here who are fathers or who um, have taken the role of father. Um, we're thankful for you. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, my name is Stephen Obert. Uh, if you're new uh, and don't know who I am, I'm the youth director here at Disciples Church, and I'm also part of the teaching team. Uh, very thankful to have you guys here this morning and excited to jump in. We have a lot to get to, so uh, let's do that. Um, a few months ago, Pastor Josh asked if I would be interested in preaching the Father's Day sermon, uh, and it, it happened right after our youth winter camp where I got to spend a lot of time talking to high school boys about what it means to be a godly man. And so when Pastor Josh said, hey, uh, Father's Day sermon, are you interested? I'm like, yes, yes. Uh, by God's providence, I've been preparing for that this entire month. So uh, I'm excited to dive into what that means for us today. Grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be spending the majority of our time here, so you won't have to do a lot of flipping around. Uh, there are truly many passages that we could use this morning in regards for God's design of biblical manhood, but time simply won't permit it. To the fathers here today, let me say again, happy Father's Day. Fatherhood is a privileged and weighty responsibility. It is, in fact, one of the reasons that I wanted to teach on biblical manhood. I decided to title our sermon this morning, The Glorious Weight of Headship. In a world, and particularly a culture, where the understanding of male and female or gender in general has been so utterly confused and destroyed... What a timely opportunity to look to God's word and God's design for men as it relates to the family, which is also God's design. Because of that, and for other reasons, even if you're not a father or even a male or man, knowing what God's word says about husbands and fathers is very important. I encourage you, pay attention. So, If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians, like I said, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. I plan to read a longer portion of this book than what we'll be living in today, primarily so that we can see the context and we can allow God's word to bring to light those things that will be left unsaid. Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 6, verse 4. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this section of Ephesians is loaded with great truths and charges from God. As I said earlier, our focus today will be on God's design in the role that God has given to men. Church, what does it mean to be a man of God? What does God declare about his purpose and design for men in this world that he created? Husbands, what does it mean to be the head of your wife? Youth, what does it mean to be a godly man when you are not yet married? Fathers, what does it mean to be godly dads? Now this passage again is not the exclusive area of scripture where God speaks to the leadership role that he has specifically given to men. It does speak to this reality in a particular way that I'm really hopeful to draw out for all of us this morning. One of the aims of this lesson is to convict us men of our shortcomings. I want to be upfront about that. I also want to build us up with the aim of helping us conform to the image of Christ. I want to send us out of here today with this charge from Scripture to be what God has called us to be. As I mentioned earlier, for those of you who are not men or for those of you who are men but are not yet married or dads, this time is for you too. Godly women, mothers, wives, will you see what God has called the men in your life to and consider how you might be a blessing to them in this gloriously weighty role? Will you pray for them as they feel and bear the weight of God's design for their leadership this morning? Young men or single men, will you take a careful look at what God has called you to and consider the areas of life where growth and even quite possibly repentance need to take place? The passage we are working through speaks directly to husbands and then to fathers, but all men are called by God to Christ-likeness. The truths that will be unpacked are applicable to all of us men. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this day, this time to gather together with the saints and worship you. This truly is the best day of our weeks. 
It begins the week with such a blessed hope and the future reality of the union of the saints eternally with the treasures of our hearts, namely you, Lord. May our time together this morning bring you much glory. May we see your truths and not be hearers of the word only, but doers. In all of this, God, you are our rock. We are desperate for your work in us to move us and mold us into the image of your Son, of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, for those of you familiar with me, I really like to lay out where we're going to go in our time together. Uh, As usual, there's three main points that I want to draw out for our time this morning. The first one, and where we'll spend the majority of our time, is on the weight of headship. The second point I want us to look at is the glory of headship. And then finally, I want us to end by looking at the fountain of headship. So, number one, the weight of headship. Number two, the glory of headship. And number three, the fountain of headship. When it comes to the role of headship, I do not believe there can be a greater weight to bear upon us husbands and therefore fathers than the reality that our headship is compared to the headship of Christ. Now to be clear, up front, Jesus did what we could not do. By living the perfect life and then dying a sinner's death, taking the full wrath of God and the place of the sinners for whom he died. We are not the saviors of our family, men. Only Jesus can claim that title. There is no savior but Christ Jesus. So what is headship? Why am I referring to headship based upon the passage that we read? Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. We start with this verse because this is where we see the word head. Husbands, under the law of King Jesus, are to be the leaders of their wives and their kids. Although there have been unbiblical arguments against what the word head means here, we don't have to look any further than Ephesians chapter 1 to see what God is aiming at when he tells us that this role is most certainly about leadership. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he, referring to God the Father, put all things under his, referring to God the Son, Jesus, all things under his feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When speaking of Christ, God declares that he put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. This is the same analogy that God continues in Ephesians 5. Men are the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his bride. Now, if we do not see leadership here, I dare say it's because we refuse to see it, not because the passage fails to reveal it. The use of the word head in Ephesians 1, as it relates to Jesus, reveals to us that the head is the primary leader. Leader 
includes the understanding of provider, visionary, protector, peacemaker, authority, and responsibility bearer. Men, we must see the fullness of the weight of this great responsibility. It is vital for us to see this rightly so that we may honor God in how we carry out this responsibility. It is also vital for the well-being of our families. Let's continue to look at the implications. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, what does it mean to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? To rightly understand what this means, we need to have a clearer understanding of what Jesus did for his bride. How did Jesus love the church? Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. God chose through Christ a beloved bride for whom Christ would die. This was done before the foundation of the world. Ephesians is not the only place in Scripture where we see this, but for time's sake, it is definitely a clear enough passage to address our first point of leadership. Namely, men, Jesus was the one who pursued us. Christ pursued us from eternity's past, in the triune God's plan to create and redeem from creation a people for his treasured possession. We see this reality take place in time as well in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we were dead in our sins, living as the world lives, chasing the desires of our sinful nature, and deserving, justly deserving God's righteous wrath, like the rest of mankind. Even then, church, God made us alive together 
with Christ. By grace, Christian, you have been saved. Oh, what a sweet reality of the gospel. Men, this clarity shows us that if we are to love our wives and children as Christ loved us, we must be the initiators. We must pursue our wives and kids. When it comes to conflict in the family that is causing division, we must lay down our sinful pride and own our own sin proactively. Now, to be clear, all Christians, male and female, are commanded to be peacemakers and initiators of reconciliation and repentance. But men see in our passage that God doubles down on this to us. Wives, if you know you've sinned, your obedience to Christ calls you to repent, not to wait for your husband to do it first. Children, if you know you have sinned, you cannot say in your heart, if dad doesn't repent, I'm not going to. Try as you might, you will not find that passage in Scripture. It doesn't exist. Men, because we are to lead the family in everything, there is a God-given special way of pursuing reconciliation that rests on our shoulders like the cross rested on Jesus' back while he carried it to Golgotha. This is what it means to be a leader, to be the head. As Jesus led by pursuing his imperfect sheep, even unto death men, we must, we must follow his leadership. Is your wife wondering? Have your kids rebelled? What are you doing to pursue them? Perhaps, men, you've tried and it hasn't gone well. We cannot let that deter us from obeying our Lord in our leadership. When we pursue reconciliation and healing within our homes, it does not mean that it will all go perfectly. Men, we are not the sovereign heart changer. That is God's work. But we are called to be heart pursuers. Pursuing the hearts of those entrusted by God to our leadership is a work that we can and we must do. I've had to apologize to my wife and daughters more than I'd care to admit. Typically, my wife is much better and much quicker at seeking out reconciliation and repenting of her sin. But when we lead here, when we are the first, when we are the initiator, when we are the pursuer, we are leading our families to the foot of the cross for reconciliation. When we realize our failure to lead is Christ, the weight should rightly bear on us. And then we must race to the beautiful truths of the gospel. The reality is when we were not worthy and never could be, Christ pursued us. Knowing this will empower us to lay down our pride, even if our wife or our children are completely in the wrong so that we can initiate reconciliation and pursue our families as the leaders God has called us to be. Remind yourself of this reality. When Jesus pursued you, there was zero fault in him. He was sinless. We were the ones in sin. 
men, we lead no matter the circumstances. Do you feel the weight of that? God places an extra call on men for cultivating reconciliation and sanctification. In this, we begin to also see the sacrificial part of our leadership, right? It is us men who are to sacrifice our pride to pursue our wives and our children. You see that, right? Let's look at this part closer. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus gave himself up for his bride, the church. How did he do this? Well, he did this with his life. Now, I've met many men who would likely step in front of a bullet for their wives, even for their friends. I've met men who would step in front of a bullet for strangers. What I don't commonly see is a lot of men who would give up lame hobbies or other self-centered interests intentionally to pour into their family. Men who would give up their coveted couch time and TV show or sports game to pursue the holiness of their wives and children is rare. This typical, or sorry, this type of sacrificial leadership is lacking in a horrific way in our culture. Men, as gently and lovingly as I can, let me ask you this question. What difference will it make that you would be willing to take a bullet for your family if while waiting for your heroic moment, you have been slowly killing them through the neglect of leading them as God has called you to lead them? You see, families don't often die from the bullet. They're far more likely to die from the slow, bleeding wound of neglect by a man who does not care. Men, we must see that Christ didn't just lead us at the point of his death on the cross. He led us all throughout his life, and he still leads us now. There was never a time recorded when Jesus was not pouring himself out for the good of others. Church, even when the scriptures mention times that Jesus would get away to be alone with God, Jesus was still leading us. He was setting the example of needing to be in deep, intimate, personal, intentional communion with God so that we can lead others well. Men, I most certainly hope that you would be willing to take a bullet, so to speak, for your family. But are you willing to lay down your desires now for the good of your family? Are you willing to lay down your hobbies to spend time pouring in to the family that God has graciously blessed you with? Will you put away social media to lead your family in a time of Bible study or other kinds of God-focused worship? What will it take, men, for you to see the need that others have for your leadership? Christ did not waste a moment of his life, but poured it out for those under his care. Ought we not to love our wives and children the same way? 
This is exactly what the Ephesians passage is getting at. We are to be sacrificial leaders. For clarity's sake, this does not mean we are to be lame or weak, a, a, a throw rug for others to walk on. We do not let our family lead for the sake of being so-called sacrificial. We must lead according to God's word. But we do so at the cost of our own desires as much as is possible and fits the occasion. Men, we are called to be lion-hearted and lamb-like. Jesus is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. The discernment between which postures we are to carry in any given situation comes with growth and maturity in God and His Word. Men, we are called to lead in protection. When Jesus gave his life for us, he, prote- he protected us from the wrath of God that we deserved. This protection is a part of what it means to be the head of the wife and the family. The role of protection and sacrifice does most definitely come into play when physical harm is a possible outcome. This really is not a, a, a typical miss for men. They don't really fail to understand that they've got to step in front of the bullet. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking that. But I want to come back to this role of protection uh, in a different manner after we read the next verse. So what else do we see in the passage that reveals the weight of headship? Ephesians 5, verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water, with the word. What we see here ever so clearly is the spiritual aspect of headship. Men, how are you washing your wives with the word of God? You cannot lead your family into God's word if you have not been living there. The weight of leadership as a man includes the spiritual well being of the wife and children. Men, do you feel the weight of this reality? You are not simply called to provide food and physical provisions for your family, though you are most certainly called to do that as well. You must be providing spiritual nutrients to your wife, to your kids. You must be leading your family in the consumption of God's word. Jesus himself, when tempted by Satan, said that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Men, is your family spiritually malnourished? It is our responsibility to lead our family in their spiritual nourishment, to wash them with the water of the word, helping them to grow in sanctification. God's word has clearly declared that we provide for the physical needs of our family. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Pretty clear and pretty harsh, straightforward words, right? But we so often fail to provide spiritually for our family. Men, do you have a plan for the discipleship of your wife and your kids? Do you have a vision for leading them in their spiritual growth? Do you initiate family worship? Do you read scripture to your children? Do you lead your family in prayer? 
This starts with your personal growth, men. Do you know God's design and commanded will found in Scripture well enough to lead a wife and kids? If not, that must be your top priority. You should be looking to know God rightly and with greater zeal. This takes time, but it is time that you must spend and never stop spending. Always looking to grow in the Lord for many reasons. One, being our focus today, to lead as we are called to lead. Men, as the head, it is our responsibility to have a vision for our family and to lead them in it. It is our responsibility to lead our family in spiritual matters as well as physical matters. Men, take time to invest in the leadership of your family by asking more mature men what they recommend and then dream up a vision for your family that it so desperately needs. Intentionally plan how you aim to carry out the leading of your family into that vision. One final note in regard to the spiritual provision of your family. Men, you must lead in spiritual things by protecting your family from spiritual attacks. You see, the world around our families are pouring out an onslaught of attacks for the hearts and the minds of those that God has called us to lead and protect. The physical dangers most families face are almost always a result of spiritual dangers that were previously missed. What kind of access does Satan have to your family? How many of your children have access to things that are spiritually and physically dangerous to them? Do you allow your children access to things because the world around them says that they need to have them? Who has decided what movies to allow in your home? What devices can connect to the internet or to other peers? And who has access to them? Who has decided what your daughters can dress like, what they can wear? What books are your kids reading? If they're not homeschooled, what are they being taught in school? If you've allowed access to things, how are you diligently checking up on those things? Many great examples of this are parents who check what type and how often conversations are happening between their children and their children's friends. Text messages should be filtered through you so that you can see everything that's being said, and all the temptations that are being presented. If you allow your child to have access, you must follow up with an intentional pursuit to know what they are doing with it. Men, we must be proactive to know where the hearts of our family are at. I'm sure by now you're feeling the weight of this. One more point to round out this section before we head to the glory of headship. Men as head, we are the primary responsible member for the overall health of our family. When God calls our family to account, he calls us first, men. When Eve ate the fruit in the garden and sinned first, God called out to Adam to ask him what happened. God said, Adam, where are you? He did this because he gave Adam as head over Eve, and Adam is the first one to answer for Eve's failure. Why did you let the serpent whisper in Eve's ear, Adam? Why didn't you crush the serpent's head as the better Adam, Jesus, did on the cross? You see, men, God has given us a weighty 
role of headship. And we must understand how this headship bleeds into every aspect of the lives of those who God has entrusted us to lead. Only then can we seek to honor God in our leadership. There's so much more to be said about this role, but we simply wouldn't have the time, not in five sermons to cover it. Men, we are the primary one to bear responsibility for our families. We are to lead in reconciliation. We are to lead sacrificially. We are to protect physically and spiritually. We are to provide physical and spiritual nourishment. All of this and more as Christ led his bride. So with all of this weight, what could possibly be glorious about this role? Ephesians 5, 25-30 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. First, But not most importantly, when we lead our family, particularly our wives, though this will pour down to our entire family, we present her to ourselves in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You see, Christ did this work so that we would be the spotless bride we could not be on our own. He traded his spotless life to make us spotless to present a bride to himself in splendor. As Christ's work cleanses us, our work to love and lead our wives and children is a part of the God-ordained way that God will bring sanctification, that's growing our family in holiness, and beautification to our wives and our children. This is a glorious thing. We men are privileged to take part in this work of God. When we do this well, we present our wives to ourselves and our kids to ourselves in a more beautiful way than when we neglect this duty. Men, if you lead the way Christ has led with physical and spiritual provision and protection, if you lead by being the initiator and the first to lay down pride to bring reconciliation to your family, if you lead in prayer and spiritual matters, if you protect your family from the world's onslaught, If you wash your family with the water of the word, it is a blessing to you too. If the Lord wills, this will be a place where a lovely bride flourishes rather than feeling abandoned and nagging constantly. Men, we more often than not take a massive role in creating the wife we despise. She nags because we have failed and refuse to lead. She runs the house because we have forfeited that role long ago. God can redeem these things, men. Will you pursue his design for your role in headship? Now to be clear, 
church, men, sometimes these things will happen solely because of sin in the family. However, how do we know if that's the case? If we've never led as God has called us to lead. Now I said that was the first part, but not the greatest part of the glory of headship. The greatest part is this. The glory of headship rests in the reality that it is the work given to mirror the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Men, the glory is not ours to have, but it is ours to behold. That God would create us to proclaim the gospel through our sacrificial leadership in this unique way is a special blessing that allows us to put on display the glory of Christ. This is amazing, men. God allows us to be the reflection of Jesus as it relates to his bride, the church. What a glorious and heavy position to be blessed with. When we see what Jesus did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and victory, we behold his glory. Men, we have been uniquely invited, commanded to display this glory, not for ourselves, but for God to be magnified. The benefit of this glory displaying is that God, in his Goodness has also made this work to have a beautifying effect upon our wives and our children. God is so good to us. It doesn't end there, though. Ephesians 5, 29 through 32. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We, Christians, are the body of Christ. Christ's love for us led him to the cross to take God's wrath in our place. When God declares through Paul that this mystery is profound and he's saying that it refers to Christ in the church, God is showing us how his creation ordinance of marriage, that's what Paul quotes in verse 31, was always meant to point toward the gospel. It has its foundation in the finished work of the Messiah. Now up until the point of Paul writing this in redemptive history, there was still mystery about marriage. God says this mystery of two becoming one flesh is meant to point us to the intimate union of Jesus and his bride, the church. Men, we are given the gloriously weighty role of Jesus when it comes to our marriage and leading our family. We have a unique position of playing out in a very, very limited but very real way the relationship that Jesus has with his beloved bride. Ladies, the part of the marriage relationship that you get to play out is the part of the church. We both reflect gospel truths. To say one role is greater than the other would be a miss. The one would be insignificant without the other. The beauty of the role that men have been given is the role of reflecting Christ. And the weight of the role that men have been given 
is the role of reflecting Christ. Men, we get to practice the very work that Christ faithfully fulfilled. Every difficult sacrifice should remind us of the weightiest sacrifices which was made for us by Christ. Every pursuit of waywardness should remind us of the waywardness of our own hearts and God's faithful pursuit of us. Every humbling moment to lay down our desires and pride should remind us of the humbleness of Christ to lay aside, in a sense, what it meant to be God, taking on a human nature and humbling himself even unto death on a cross. Men, it is out of your love for Christ Jesus and what he has done for you that you will be able to love and fulfill this role in the God-ordained way that we have been commanded to. Which brings me to my last point. Point three, the fountain of headship. We're going to look at a passage in another book now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If you haven't figured it out yet, men, Jesus is the fountain of headship. Even here in this passage, we see Christ's humbleness as our anchor to obedience. We think more highly of others because Christ thought more highly of others. Just consider our Ephesians passage, the longer one that we read at the beginning of our time this morning. There's a a familiar phrase that's kind of layered all throughout it. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 6.4. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our fountain, our source from which we draw any ability to obey these commands of God is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, we cannot even do the least of these apart from Christ. Men, does the the weight of headship feel impossible? It is. It is apart from Him. Without Christ, it is impossible. Jesus is the fountain from which the blood of redemption has flowed over us. And he is the fountain from which the living water flows out to us. 
We must be continually living in the fountain of grace and life, or we will never be able to uphold such weighty responsibilities. Men, this truth should lift the heavy burden from your shoulders this morning. When we fail, we have redemption in Jesus, our Savior. When we are weak, we have strength in Jesus, our Lord. We must continually go back to our fountain, our head, Jesus himself. Hebrews reminds us of this truth. Hebrews four fourteen through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus has not only done it for us, he calls us to return again and again to the throne of grace with confidence, with faith to receive mercy and help in our time of need. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Men, are you being tempted to give up the weight of headship? Christ will help you. Are you being tempted to set it down? It's too much. Christ will be your strength. You must go to him. The role we have been given is impossible apart from Christ. If you felt overwhelmed with the weighty reality of God's commands upon you as a man, then return to the throne of grace where Christ Jesus is seated and remember your source of strength. God gives mercy and grace for your failures and commands us men to get back in the fight. Jesus did not quit when it got too hard. He bore the full cup of God's wrath upon sinners so that we would not have to feel one drop. Let's return to the gospel realities again and again for these truths so that we may honor the Lord in our lives poured out for our families and for others. In conclusion, there are many practical implications from God's word this morning, but I'm just going to leave you with a few. The first step of leadership men is to go hard after God yourself. Men, you must be pursuing the Lord. You must be in his word. You must be diligent to make this a practice. To be in God's word, to fight the fight of faith, to put sin to death, to plead to God on behalf of your family. Men, if you're not getting intentional personal time to dig into the word and make a practice of this, you cannot lead your family well. What gospel realities do you need to remind yourself of if you've not read them and understood them in God's word? If your family cannot see you fighting the spiritual battles of this world raging in around you, how can they follow your leadership for them? 
To be clear, wives, daughters of God, you also must go hard after God for yourself. The man's work to go after God for himself cannot replace the woman's need to go hard after God for herself as well. Men, be intentional. Take time this week to write out a vision that you have for your family and then get with other more mature men to find out how to make this happen. Lead your family in prayer. Lead them in digging into the word. Lead them in singing to God. Men, be the one preparing the hearts of your family for Sunday's fellowship with the saints. Wives, please be cautious. Avoid playing the part of the Holy Spirit in this work that your husband has been called to. If you are constantly going at him, it will only cause his sinful pride to well up and it will bring defeat to both you and him. To be clear, we are all responsible for our own sin. No one can make you sin. Your own sin is your responsibility. But are you being a helper fit for your husband? Or are you fighting against him? Younger men in life or in faith, are you prepared to lay down your life in all aspects, not just take a bullet for your future wife, if that's what God has for you? Are you going hard after God to know his word and to live according to it? If not, please, I'm pleading with you. Do not engage the heart of a daughter of God if you have no ability to rightly handle it. If you are uncertain, if you're mature enough to engage the daughters of God rightly, then grab a man you know that is mature enough and ask him. Be ready for him to speak to you honestly. And if they say you aren't in a good position for this, then ask them for their help. Younger men in life or faith, let those who are mature raise you up in the things of the Lord. Young ladies or unmarried ladies, are you consciously thinking through these truths when considering courtship with a man? God has called you to the role of helper and submitting to another's leadership. Is the guy you are interested in capable of leading you as Christ led? If you are overwhelmed with the pitter-patter love for him and you cannot rightly see, would you please ask a woman who is mature and loves you to speak in to this desire? I plead for you to hear this because of my love for you. It goes miserably bad for women who do not require the same standard God requires for you in a husband. Ladies, if you are not ready to follow the lead of a man, then again, ask a mature woman to help you grow so that you can be. Men, happy Father's Day. You've been, I know, huh? You have been given a precious and weighty role. God has ordained that men should lead. This includes protecting, providing, pursuing, reconciling, healing, sanctifying, lifting up, and sacrificing. Lead a wife like this, men. Lead a family like this. And watch the joy of submission pour out of them. Make their role as easy as possible 
Do the heavy lifting. Fight for your family's holiness. You are men. God did not mess up when he made you a man. If you know you need help, there are many men here who would love to help you make this a reality for your family. If you're not already pressing in at midweek and regularly on Sundays, make this your first step. Grab a leader afterwards. Ask them how they do family worship or encourage their family to be in the Word. Men, let's glorify our Lord by laying down our lives for those that God has entrusted to our leadership. The role of headship is weighty and it is glorious. And God has provided all we need in Christ to fulfill it. He is our fountain, our source of headship. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-58 The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this day, this day to celebrate um, the amazing gift of fatherhood. Um, God, it is, it is a weighty role, but you have not made a mistake. You know your creation and you know the purpose of your creation, Lord. When we fail to follow your commands, God, will you give us strength? Will you give us eyes to see? Will you give us a humbleness to repent and to turn back to you, to lean on the finished work of your Son, that we may rightly represent him in all that we do, Lord? I pray for our families here. I pray for the men who are are feeling the weight of this this morning, God. Would you remind them of the strength they have in Christ, of the forgiveness they have in Christ? For those men who aren't here this morning, Lord, would your spirit be at work in them? Convict them. Bring them here to lead their families well, Lord. We love you. We are are desperate for you in all of this. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.